Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. What's going on, guys? Another week, another live. This time, we're going live with Mark Todd Osborne. You can find him on Instagram at mark.todd.osborne. The dude is a freaking legend. He's the real OG. He's worked with so many different big brands. I mean, Netflix, Apple TV, Disney. Like, he uh, graded Capote. He's graded Need for Speed. He's worked on a Hulu show called The Act. And there's so many things that we're going to be deep diving in and talking about. And then there's some exciting uh, announcement that he has to make. So he's going to talk about that. So pumped to bring him on. And guys, seriously, I mean, this dude is huge. If you go on his account and just see who's following him, you'll know what he's up to. So what's going on, Mark? Hey, it's great to see you. Thank you for having me on. Good to see you, brother. Like, it's it's amazing that I'm looking at your 18% gray wall and it just, I feel terrible. You know, I, I, I don't do this like you do. So I struggled with, I've got these this beautiful view out my window, but it was conflicting with my face. So I had to shut the... I know. The 50% gray. What's that 50%, sorry, my bad. I mean, I know it looked oh, darker. No, 18, it could be 80%, 50, you know, 50% is about the same. Yeah, but I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like I, my last place was 18% and it was just a dungeon. And like when we moved here, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm like borderline getting depressed because I'm in my office like 24, like 24 hours every day. <laughs> So I'm like, just looking at this, like I got to figure out a better way. So I ordered a bunch of like acoustic panels that are going to be dark. So that are going to bring some of that, like, you know, bring that down. But I think for now, I'm going to leave the walls like that. We'll see what happens. But I mean, right now I have the windows open. What color are your walls? They're like light gray. They're like super, super light gray. gray. Yeah. I went and, you know, I talked to one of my post house buddies that had a hookup on getting the 18% gray or the 50% gray. Yeah. And it, I went to Home Depot with his little, he had a yes. barcode yeah. because otherwise I tried to explain it to the guys at, at the Home Depot. They, they don't get it. make me a 50% gray no until way. you showed them the mixture. You know, he, right. he gave me this barcode that was already done somewhere else. Man, you're as psycho as I am. So this is going to be a great <laughs> talk. All right, yeah. Mark, let's get into it. Why don't you give us a little bit? I mean, I know you need no introduction, but can you just take us through oh. a little bit and just talk about... What got you into this and okay. where you're at? What are you doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I, my story is kind of uh, offbeat and unique. Uh, my, my path to where I've gotten has been an interesting story. And it's probably too long for this talk. But in general, um, I was always a creative kid, like a lot of us in this business. Uh, didn't know exactly where my creativity uh, was going to land. I loved movies. My mom used to actually take me out of school to see movies and we'd see double features and, yes. and then we'd stay to watch it again. We just wouldn't leave the theater. So yes. I just, I'm, a, I'm a TV and movie junkie and it's just been ingrained in me. So, um, you know, getting into high school, I realized, you know, filmmaking is what I wanted to do. Uh, and uh, so I kind of, you know, at 19 years old, 18, I was 18, 19, I just started, you know, not I was going to college to, to shoot, you know, little short films, but, while I was doing that, I'm meeting guys that were working on the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which is yes. date me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but they were like guys that were working as effects artists on Elm Street Three at my, you know, they're, and they're and they're going to my school. Uh, I was going to a school called OCC, and it's Orange Coast Costa Mesa. Okay. And uh, they had a great 16 millimeter filming facility there, and flatbeds and. Uh, so these guys are like, dude, you don't need a college degree to be a, a director is what I wanted to be. And uh, they said, you just got to shoot film and get a portfolio, get films under your belt and show them. But they did stress that you've got to have an industry job while you're trying to make your way to being a director. So I did, I did take that to heart. And, and, and I found out that everybody in the movie business wants to direct. It doesn't matter if you're in the yes. art department, yes. you're a 1,000%. Yep. Everybody wants to direct. And I get it, you know. And so these guys, here they were. I was in awe of them because they were just, they were effects artists on Nightmare on Elm Street oh 3. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking, you've made it. But they're like, yeah, but we want to direct. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, yeah, so I literally, I'm very, I've been a very, I guess, assertive person. I used to say aggressive, but somebody said, don't say aggressive. It's yeah. more, you're just assertive. So I literally went... I went up to people like Stan Winston, you know, the effects guy for Terminator. And I wow. went into his office going, hi, I'm Mark Todd Osborne. I want to work for you. I, I would do stuff yes. like that. Yes, yes. And uh, 
it scared some of them, but a lot of them actually liked my chutzpah, my, my gumption to yeah. do that. So um, I started working in the business. I probably, you know, I was doing some PA work. Um, I did uh, three days of PA work on the stunt crew for Point Break, the Keanu Reeves movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was stoked with that. And then, but I, it didn't take me long to, to realize I wanted to, I wanted to get into editing. Um, the editor of Field of Dreams, actually, the one that told me when I was saying, what's my best path to being a, a director? Mm-hmm. And of course, every department would tell you their, their part, department was the best. But the, the one I believe was the editor of Field of Dreams. And he told me, be an editor because this is where the story's told. He says, I mean, you can shoot what you want out there and hopefully you get it, but you really tell the story in the editing room. And uh, so I got into editorial and I bugged uh, New Line Cinema uh, because I I was already stopping by the Elm Street movies to visit my friends. And uh, by Elm Street 5, I was bugging uh, New Line Cinema. Please let me get into editorial. They said, well, you can't get into editorial till you've had experience. So they sent me over to Roger Corman. Uh, If you've heard of Roger Corman's place, Roger was... uh, he, he launched the careers of James Cameron oh, and, wow. and a lot of big Jesus. people. So look at Roger Corman. He did, he did the original Little Shop of Horrors, but he was the master of making micro-budget movies from the 50s, 60s into the into the wow. to, to current times. So I went over to Roger Corman. You always have to work for free for Roger at first before they hire you. But I just went and worked on a few movies as an apprentice editor, and uh, and then New Line hired me, and I got, got to wow. work in very so the the moral of the story is that that go-getter attitude is out of control i mean it's just something that because there are so many people that are kind of put these shackles on themselves you know they're just like hey kazi i can create cool looks but i'd never get to work with alexa and i'm like dude come on and they're just like hey man like i really want to be something but i'm in you know ohio and i'm like there's big colorists and people that i know that are in ohio killing it so it's like people are always like kind of just trapping themselves like you know instead of like what you're just saying i mean with your attitude i don't care you could have been born in canada like it didn't matter where you were born you would have had that like you know attitude and you would have made it happen right and i admit you know my attitude it's funny people can look at it one of two ways some people get sort of uh, taken aback by it. Some people look at it as, as a threatening thing, but I've always, uh, I'm a nice guy and I like to meet people. And I just, I've always looked at it as, uh, you know, it's just me, I just, I, I get goals of what I want. And I just, I really, I get kind of, maybe maybe it's, I don't know if it's an OCD thing, there might be some therapeutic term for it, but it's when I set my mind to something, I go for it. And, uh, but I gotta say, most people in the business are very uh, responsive to it and they like that. Uh, so I always try to gravitate toward people that get me Yes, <laughs> you know, and I can get a sense if someone doesn't get me, I'm like, okay, it's cool. We're not meant for Yes, other. exactly. I'll just, I'll just move on to someone that gets me. So, um, I've been very fortunate to work with master artists. Love the attitude. And, and artists. And I do, I've always considered myself an artist first before a technologist, but of mm. course you have to be a technologist in this industry too. Uh, you, you know, uh, that's something that I want to talk about. That's something that I want to get into because I want to, I want your take on it. It's really funny that you say that you're artist first. I always say that I'm, I'm a businessman first and artist second, you know, it just, I'm always thinking about like, you know, what that, you know, where your mind goes. Exactly. That's where my mind goes, you know, but, uh, I want to touch base on the technical side of it too. Like I got lucky with it because I went to school for IT, you know, network engineering degree. So like I went to school for it. So a lot of my under the hood, like I can build my own PC, my own computer from the ground up. I understand all that stuff or when I'm working on, you know, on site and there is any technical issue, like I'll just get in there and I'll try to fix it before I call or open up a ticket, you know, and, and I think that gives me a leg up on a lot of people, but that is just sort of like in my nature. I was like that as a kid, I was very much into tech and I'm a gearhead, but I do want to talk about that. I want to ask you, you know, somebody who's worked on like countless features and like you have so much experience that where do you put these two when it comes to let's just say if somebody's starting out what is the most important thing is it technical over creative or is it half and half or how do you find that balance okay um i'll back up a little bit because the reason why i'm starting to like i'm i'm stuck in a dark room every day and i last few years i've been thinking about how i want to get out and start talking about stories about the industry 
I think, I, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be a teacher because I think there's a lot of great qualified colors teachers out there. Mm -hmm. I can do it and I've done it, mm -hmm. but what I want to do is come at it from a different angle of, look, here's my experience. I want to talk about it. There's some funny little stories along the way you might find amusing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that people trying to get into this business will will like to hear those things. I would have liked to hear it. I, I had to find my way into this business. There was no help from anyone. My guidance counselor, when I told her I want to be a director in my senior year, she goes, I can't help you. I've never had in my 30 years here anyone ask to be a director. So I had to figure it out myself. So back to technology. When I was at Company 3, uh, and I worked around a lot of great master colors, and I was sort of like, you know, I went from, I, I was a, boy, I kind of was an assist colorist for a while, but then I kind of was my own guy. Then I went back to sort of helping Stephen Sonnenfeld on feature work. But um, I remember at the time, and, and I've made a lot of mistakes to get where I'm at. I believe you've got to fail to succeed. You really do. You can't be afraid of failure. I have failed so much. I fail every day. But that's great because I learn from it and I move forward. Um, but I remember back then, my young mind had this attitude that I'm an artist. I don't need to know all the technology. I don't care how the signal gets to the tape. I just create art. Yeah. And I realized I had a master colorist uh, tell me he was more of a technologist colorist. He was more technical. And he goes, Mark, that's not a smart attitude. He said, you need to understand what you're working on so that you can bring out the best in it. And he was right. And from that day on, I stopped having that, you know, that, that pouty artist attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started learning more about the technology. Uh, and especially since I left Company 3, I've actually become much more interested in uh, technology. Uh, because, and now it's exciting for me. I mean, I find like I'm in a, in a renaissance period of create coloring now because now I really understand the different cameras that are coming to me. And if I don't understand them, I talk to people or I read up on them. And I, I feel like I'm giving every camera the perfect color sauce to, to dig the color out. Yes, yes. I still see people, I still see people that aren't using the IPP2 color space right. on stuff that's IPP2. Yes. And so it looks desaturated and bland and they're really having to crank the crap out of saturation yeah. when if you just applied the right uh, yes. color sauce and set great. the science up right, yep. it starts looking great already out of the box. Yes. So, so yes, uh, there's a perfect blend of technology and creativity. And I, th I think they just go hand in hand. I don't think one has to be over the other. They just blend to make art. I feel like, here's the thing, right? I'm, I'm right there with you, like been a practitioner my whole life and, and learned color grading, you know, uh, on my own, just self-taught. Because it's one of those things, I feel like there's so many courses and, you know, you, you uh, it's taught in school, editings, you know, cinematography, all these fields. And we went to Art Institute, my wife and I, uh, in Chicago. and you know, that's where we met. And this, my major was uh, cinematography minor and editing. So those were clear paths, right? Like, I mean, those things are just taught to you. They show you movies, pause and talk about yeah. it, all that stuff. But color grading was something that I would shoot something and then I would go, what is it missing? And it was that uh -huh. thing that it was missing was color. So I started with, you know, Final Cut uh, or uh, Apple had Apple Color. So I started with Apple Color in 20, uh, 2009. But okay it's like I have to figure it out on my own. So I'm completely self-taught. And then along the way, I took any and every training, like whether it's FX, HD, you know, PhD or whatever it is, I just took every training, um, wow. went to Ableton A and took trainings there just to oh. kind of pick something up. Like if there's something that I'm missing that somebody can tell me, because once you're in the field, I feel like once you're a practitioner, all you're looking for is that one word, one thing that you just want yeah. to maximize on it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, it's like yeah. those things did help, but there is one thing that was missing in my entire career, like whether going on forum and learning about color grading or something like all that. What I've learned is that there's a lot of intimidation because people get so worked up, like the, the pros, and they get so technical with it that people that just want to start out they don't want to do it anymore. They're freaked mm -hmm. out. So for me to create this platform, which was such an undertaking because I'm running my business, I'm dealing with employees, I'm actually working and then, you know, having a wife and son and all that. So I'm just like, this is going to be a big one to take on to, to rewire the brains, like bring a different flair of what color grading can be and teach people a different way. So I, by nature, I'm so technical, but I feel like I, just see this problem out there that 
people get way too technical. Even when I brought on Jill Bogdanovich, like she didn't want to yeah. talk about technical stuff. She actually, D we DM'd and she said, can we just please not do that and just talk about the creative side? And I'm like, I loved you before. Now I love you so much more that's, because- That's why I love Jill. You know? Well, I, I Yeah, we're similar. I, I think a lot of us colorists uh, that have had the experience we've had, we're sort of in that same mindset. We Like I said, we like the art about it. We understand the technology. Right. I'd rather rather talk about the art of it. So, and that's uh, what my DP, that's what cinematographers and directors and producers come to me for. The best compliment I've been getting the last five years from anyone is, it's funny because I don't get a chance to talk about what I do. Um, I'm usually just doing it with the client. Right. But once in a while when someone asks me, how, you know, what are you doing or how are you doing this? I get really excited and everyone says, I love your passion. Like you truly love what you do. They say that comes out of me when I talk and I'm so glad to hear that. because that's <laughs> love I do that. love what I, it's a crazy business, but I do right. love what I do. So let me ask you this, like, I mean, going from working on something like Capote, you know, and obviously shot on film, what's the process like? What is the software that you're using? What is that like? Well, again, Capote, I, I'm a much different colorist than when I did Capote. Uh, obviously, that was a long time ago. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that back then, that was putting up on the, have you ever worked on a spirit machine? The spirit where we hung hung, we we hung 35 millimeter film on it and uh, digitally transferred it to tape, to digital baby tape. And, uh, you know, that movie was already, they already sort of had a look they right. had put into it from the lab. Negative, but, right. of course, for the video, because most people probably saw it on video, you know, right. uh, and that's where I sat with the director, Bennett Miller, and uh, and the DP, Adam Kimmel. And we I just spent about six days or so, or more, seven days back then, I think it was, just working with them day after day. Uh, and we were just putting more delicate touches and enhancing what mm. was already on the film. I think it was an IP, 35-millimeter mm -hmm. IP. And uh, But again, back then, I admit, uh, I remember I was so slow. And I know that they were like, oh, Mark, I wish you were faster, because I still hadn't even though I had sort of assisted on a lot of features and I knew how to color, I still had so much to learn about how to, there's so much to the coloring. Like you've got to learn how to manage the time because yes. you've got these big directors that don't have time for you to, to mess around. Um, and so you've got to learn how to be creative, get what they want fast and do it within a relative quick amount of time so that you can keep the client there. Cause otherwise they will call for another color since faster. So yeah. I was pretty slow back then. I remember I was a little bit painstaking because I was just, I just wasn't as sure as myself. Back right. Then. And, the, and the crazy thing is that, you know, so many people that work with film just say that, you know, it was a simpler, you know, simpler times, like where you're starting at like a really good spot, but now I want to move to It Follows. And okay. with my research, it was shot on Alexa and Red. So I don't know, like. Yeah, you know, I believe it was mostly Alexa. I don't, uh, I don't remember. Oh, It Oh, it, it follows, yes. It was all, yeah, unless you've probably done recent research. I believe it was like 98% Alexa. Okay. There might have been some pickup shots and some visual effects shots they shot red. Okay, so were you were you angry that why would you use a different camera? Is it like, or is it just not that big of a deal? I don't love it. I yeah. don't love that, but I got to say now, I did a Blumhouse movie a couple of years ago called Lowriders, which is a really nice film. That, okay. It's a great family film that a lot of people probably didn't see. I don't think they marketed it too heavy. But that movie was an Alexa film, but it, there was one scene where they had to shoot uh, red, a, red, a red camera for a second camera, and they said, can you match the Alexa? And I remember they felt different, even yeah. though I matched the color. Yes. But, but when I got into the, then I dug into the metadata of the red and reconstructed it to look more like an Alexa. But it's not as hard to do that now. Yeah. That was a couple of years ago. But um, for It Follows, yeah, I mean, it was Alexa film. And what's the beauty of that film? And I wish people, I'm still trying to get people to follow the, the the structure of what we did with that those the director and dp chose me three months before they shot one frame of film they uh they were already scheduled to do it at a company called tunnel post in santa monica and i was working there as freelance colorist and um so what was great is we got to talk about what's this movie going to look like when you shoot it and uh the director david robert mitchell said this one line to me he goes i just want the movie to look technicolor but modern and i'm like mm. what is what do you mean technicolor mm -hmm. but modern? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got thinking, I just thought about a lot. And on day one of set shooting, they sent me some footage to start playing with. So I, I started trying to design my own technicolor three-stripe look. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and everybody's got a million different ways to approach that. Uh, so I came in, at least I came in, though, with guns loaded, ready to go yes. when we got the DI. So uh, the first look we set was when she is in the wheelchair 
In fact, I think there's pictures all over. She's in the wheelchair in her underwear. And mm-hmm. she's a, that's the first shot we set. And first I threw my Technicolor look and David goes, it's nice. It's interesting, but it's not my movie. It's it's too much. Okay. So I, I pulled it back. Right. And with once I pulled it back, he goes, stop. That's it. That's our movie. And that was our our. Our, our table, oh. our, our master to, to match to and yes. make that movie look like that. So so that's not something that you created a show lot and handed it off to them and then they shot it with that. They just shot their own thing and then he just basically put a bug in your head that, hey, this is what I want. And then you went and created it and then right. of course again, you were ready to go. And the DP, of course, Michael Gluckus, shot a beautiful film. He mm-hmm. gave me a lot to work with. And the colors can always... Uh, work better and faster when you've already got it it's already mostly there and then yeah. you just take it from 85 percent to 100 percent yes and get it right where they want it but no they they lit it beautifully they have some beautiful lighting as well as as with all movies there's things that probably i had to put maybe help with yeah. a little bit where they couldn't get the lights they right. wanted or you know but for the most part it was shot beautifully and i just got to enhance what they shot yeah further and then create a, a look that fit the mood and tone of the film and so. yeah, so I mean, for it follows. I mean, that's uh, I'm trying to think which year it came out, but was HDR 2014. 2014. So HDR is already floating around. Like, were you were you working for that too, or you just did like a Rex of a Nine and a? You uh, did, that one, I believe we did. Uh, I think it was a P3 with P3. a Rex of a Nine conversion. Okay. Yeah, for, for Blu-ray and video. Okay, yeah. so P3. how how is, uh, there There was a question that somebody asked that I thought was a pretty good question. They were like, how does Mark, um, and you talked about it a little bit too, the time management, but so you got a film, like It Follows, you get like, how many weeks did you get or a month or something? Well, um, it's funny, you know, the, the time keeps getting shorter and shorter. Exactly. I'm sure you've experienced that yeah. too. I, I got... Um, I, I got about, I think I got 14 days on it. My God, uh, it's but crazy. But now I have to do movies in five days. There's one company that makes me do them in five. And it's, and they're what you see on, um, they're what you see on Amazon and, and streaming. I mean, I, I, I've learned how to pare down what I do and, and cut the middleman out and get to it. So it, dude, it's crazy. And I don't like that. I still think a, an indie film should have at least like seven days. Eight would be lovely. Uh, My but God, it, that's but quick. Most people, most people give me at least seven or eight days. But again, there's a certain companies I, I have affiliations with that are like, they give me a lot of quantity, but they just have to turn them around faster. God, it's, so, it's crazy. But, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying is you got to learn how to be a time manager as well. For instance, like if a, if a director comes in, um, I remember a few years ago when I worked for Light Iron, the first company I worked for as a permalancer was Light Iron. Um, John Wick. Right out of, right, right, yeah, right out of Company 3. And that was great for me because I was working on the Pablo at the time, the Quantel Pablo, and it was so different than the, the Da Vinci 2K, which became the Resolve. And uh, it was fun for me to learn. I was in, again, it was fun to learn different boxes. I learned Luster, Nukoda. I did Nukoda for It Follows. Um, but now I just, I kind of just like knowing one box because that way I can just, mm-hmm. I know it all the way to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get to know the editorial on a lot of those, those mm-hmm. other boxes. I just knew the color side. But um, so, yeah, so I, again, I got four, 14 days on It Follows. But uh, yeah, they just, they, you got to be a time manager because. You, you just can't, you can't, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I was going back to Light Iron. Uh, there was a movie I did for Light Iron that was a 35 millimeter scan film called Stone. It was their first film that they had scanned. Most of their stuff was the red camera. Okay. And the first thing the director wanted to do was he wanted to get into visual effects color with, there's these, this couch that I, I can't stand the look of. It was the wrong, the art department brought the wrong one in. And I need you to fix that. And, and I just said, you know, I can change that couch color to whatever you want. Let's let's start building the scene. Let's talk about what the scene should look like first. And then he said, okay, we'll get to the couch later. But once we designed the look of the scene, he never asked me about the couch again. Huh. And I think it's because he saw it all in context. He saw beautiful color and the couch wasn't bothering him anymore. Yeah, so yeah. my point is you got to learn to, like, I could have, you know, sometimes I'll stop and, and give him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay, yeah. we'll spend 45 minutes doing a, a visual effect but you can't like i always put the hard stuff at the back end yes. of the job you know what i mean like Smart. let's the way i like to I, I color in in layers i let's 
let's throw the paint up on the canvas first and get the overall rough idea. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to watch through it. And then I'm going to make different decisions on matching and maybe color temperature and saturation. I kind of, as I, it, it's layered process. So by layer, by past three and four, it's being honed down and getting there. So that's, yeah. that's a have, good one that I wanted to know because it's like the people are just all this so confused. They were like, should we, have a final grade on our first shot and then move to the second and all oh, this. Oh, I'm glad you're bringing that. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Now, some DPs have not understood why I didn't want to do 100% on on the first shot. Because trust me, here's what I've learned in, in 22 years of grading. Um, you, your movie will speak to you about what it wants to be. You can set an awesome look on, on the first shot. You can, it'll look great as a still. Right. But until you see that shot with that color grade on it, in context of the scene before and after, you don't know if that shot's gonna work. And nine times out of 10, sometimes they'll be like, oh, that's a pretty, it's a pretty color, but it's not my movie because it's too right. saturated or it's too garish yeah. or it's whatever. So context speaks volumes. So I always say, let's not get, like when they start saying, let's do a million windows on this shot, I'll do a few, but then I'll say, let's move on. I will get those windows taken care of on it, like a, a later pass. Right. I know what you want for this scene. I'll make sure the windows are there by the time you come back. Right. Um, but again, let content, just let them watch the movie because just to make sure that the overall color palette is working. And then it's easy for me once they, when they're, once they sign off on the color's beautiful, can I still have that corner knocked down? Yes. Right. Can I knock that base in the background down or whatever those little finesse things? Right. Uh, so yeah, I like to do the finesse stuff, the bulk of it on a, on a later pass because I just want to make sure the palette is correct at first. first. Yeah, That's the yeah, most yeah. important thing at first. You want to have a colored film that they could at least show to someone in case we didn't get to all that trickier work. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart. Talking about Need for Speed, um, shot on Alexa, Blackmagic, GoPro, like tons of different cameras. But Yes, a bunch of cameras. So again, you know, you're you're doing your pass, but it's a little bit of like a blockbuster film. So yes. is, is there a different... Oh different sauce that you have like that you're going to create a different kind of look like are are they br bringing in inspirations or are you doing your research before you even jump in and then you're ready to go like how did that go need for speed is a really uh, unusual story as well because and i had to sort of make sure that my people in the business understood that originally it was supposed to be finished the technicolor because that's where the deliverables are being done so originally uh, a colorist named mike Sawa was going to do the master grade but shane hurlbrett uh, we were working, I was working at a company called Bandito Brothers. He's, he's got connections with Bandito and that's where Bandito was this cool. I don't know if you ever heard of Bandito yeah, Brothers. Yeah, oh yeah. They were like of... making a lot of commercials and movies mm -hmm. and very renegade filmmakers yeah. and kind of like they work with studios, but they also like to do their own thing. Yes. So they hired me to originally, it was just, uh, you know, get the movie colored for our stuff, our screenings for DreamWorks and Disney. Cause it was a DreamWorks Disney movie. And, uh, and, but I, you know, I go, okay, but I'm, I'm a master colorist. I mean, I can do it too. So Shane just trusted me after the first four hours of working. He goes, oh my God, that's beautiful. Like we started already going yeah, all yeah. the way. And what happened was by the time I was done, they gave me two months on it. I never get two Hell months. Hell yeah. But um, yeah. I talked to the, you know, the, the people at DreamWorks and said, guys, I, I know this is still going for deliverables, but you got, they'll have nothing to do with the master color. I mean, I know you got other things to work on. The 3d version but uh so they said well no mark this is an interesting dilemma but we're going to give you colorist at bandito brothers so it is my movie it's just and when i talked to mike later at the screening uh, at disney yeah. mike was like i said did you i didn't i go i didn't see any different work than what i did because no i guess i really didn't have to i just put real one looks great real two real three so just, he just looked through yeah, it and, that's and awesome. with Shane, and i guess it was good so yeah I, and that just doesn't happen as a freelance yes. artist to get a big movie like that yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. is an anomaly in itself uh, but Shane Hurlbut was uh, fun to work with. I don't know if you know much about Shane. Yes, He's got his of course. Thing going, yeah. Love him, yeah. Shane. And Shane built in a lot of beautiful colors uh, in the frame for me. Yes. Um, and one thing him and I discussed, and what I learned from that movie, is that I started getting to this mode of my career of uh, liking different gradients that go across the screen, mm. uh, seeing two or three different gosh, shades of green. And one thing we worked, we did the C C five hundred. I think it's the five hundred. Yes, I think so. Five hundred, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people balked when I was because I started I started falling in love with the C five hundred while I was working on the movie, and people were getting mad at me online, going, "What? It's not better than the Alexa." And I said, "Well, again, 
I said, here's the thing. It's a different paintbrush. Yes. Um, I think all the cameras are different brushes and it's just what brush is right for, for your art, for your story. Um, but what I found out is Shane showed me the same, it was an exterior shot of a landscape. Uh, and this is, again, this is 2014. And he shot it with the Alexa and he shot it with uh, the, the C500 and I colored both of them to match. But what we found was the 500 had such a sensitive, um, uh, you know, such, such a sensitivity that it yes. saw two more shades of green than the Alexa was casting. Yes, exactly. It was weird. Yep. We saw like five different shades of, of colors that maybe the Alexa caught three of them. But I, I know the Alexa's even improved since then right. too. But it just, that's what we fell in love with with that movie. It's like, look at all the difference. And, and these are subtle things. These are like, you know, yes. Aaron Paul's face when you just see uh, a darker green, a lighter green, a yellow. There's just different shades of gradients of color happening on a skin. This tone. is so amazing. And I love you for it so much because this is, this is what I'm trying to say. You know, people get set in their ways. And I've noticed that too, it, the, the forum community is so rigid that they just don't want to hear anything else. Like if, if Alexa is Alexa, then Alexa Canon is like a child's play. And it's like, yeah. I've always said that I'm like, I am in love with Canon's color science because nothing can get you to that 80% right off the bat that Canon can, not even Alexa. You got to take that green out. Like, you know, yes. like with, yeah. with Canon, you're boom, you're there. You just get going. So like so mm. many jobs, like when I'm working on commercials or even corporate gigs or whatever, these people are you, or when they, if they're asking me, Hey, which camera is the best for this particular thing? I'm like, use Canon cameras, like C500 Mark IIs or whatever, because we don't have time and it will put me in that spot right off the bat. You yes. Know? Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that because, um, again, for a few years ago, I spent my first two days just trying to get the red camera or the Alexa where it should have been in the first place mm -hmm. as a starting point. So I could then get to my creative. Yes, creative. exactly. And I don't have time to be wasting several days on just building up the right. color to a, a normal. Right. Exactly. I need it. That's, that's why I rely. I used to be a no let guy a few years ago. Because I didn't see LUTs that were designed correctly. I saw a lot of LUTs that were destroying the image, just degrading. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that what that means? I was going to ask you, like, what does that specifically mean? Don't be, like, don't be beholden to LUTs? Exactly. Yeah. It's don't like, and I'm not talking about people that are, you know, even like Jill works off of LUTs. Like, so many people, but it's a different kind of caliber, right? I mean, you got these huge companies spending millions of dollars building their color science and, like, yeah. all this, this stuff. So that's their secret sauce that I get but people who are starting out they're using LUTs as like an Instagram filter and they're just slapping yeah. it on and exporting it and they're calling oh. themselves colors you know let me give you a perfect example uh I get called in to be a color doctor on other people's movies every once in a while now I will not name names but uh there are some colors that have that have spent 40 hours on a movie and then the director's just not happy with it you know, I, there was one movie that I remember a director saying, I like my dailies lot better than the DI I'm getting. And what I found what the guy was doing was I, 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 I come from a very, I, my mantra is there's beauty and simplicity. And it's not my, I didn't write that. That's been around for years. It's been right. said by many people, but I believe it's true. I don't get, basically don't get technical till you need to start simple. Like what's, so I, I look, don't like, don't chase problems with, keys and power windows until you need to. So I start with an overall broad stroke, then I bring in the fine brush. Right. So on this movie, I, I took a still of what a problem shot and I said, what is it that you don't, you know, I, I saw the film was looking muddled. She goes, I don't see my movie in this anymore. And the film was being uh, power windowed to death oh over God. power window. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was just muddling up yes. the film. So I hit base mem and I just go, well, what did your DP shot? Because I'm led by their cinematography. Right. Be led by the cinematography. Hopefully, if the cinematography right. did their job, it's going to look great once you give it contrast and saturation. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I just started giving it contrast. I thought, oh, okay, a little green, balanced out. Once I balanced it out and got skin tone right. By the way, skin tone, I'm guided by skin tone. When the skin looks good, everything else falls into place as well for me. Yes, um, couldn't so agree more. Within two seconds, I kid you not, I started making it like first node, and she goes, oh, my God, that's gorgeous. I go, well, your DP shot a nice-looking movie. What else would you like me to do with it? She goes, I just want to flag that corner. It's a little bright. Boom, done. Next shot. Yeah. I mean, it, the other guy had five power windows that were tracking with oh the camera. Oh, my it's all God. All the time. I and know. then and then back to the LUT. Let me get this out. because This is important. Yeah, Another movie that I was brought in. I was brought in. A guy was using a LUT to get a green look. Um, 
and it, what it was destroying. They shot this beautiful film in was it Kazakhstan, some some yeah. country that had gorgeous like you know sound of music uh, type skies yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and hills and valleys, and this lot. See the lot. He he. I, I, the director's just going. I don't like this. My, my, all my skies are gone. The lot looked good on the first couple of interior shots. It gave it a green. It had a green yes. in it. Yeah. But then when I went outside, it literally clipped all the sky yep. until there were no clouds. The skies went white. And I go, well, your LUT's destroying your, your red. It was a red camera movie. And again, did the same thing. Took a still of what the other guy did. I Then I put my first note on, started balancing. And immediately skies came back. And I'm, and then I said, now what's the... He goes, like, that's beautiful. He goes, I go, what else did you need? Yeah. He goes, I just want a little cyan in the whites. Node two, cyan. Exactly. That's what, you yes. don't have to overcome yes. it. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, yeah. So that, that's that, my that point, right? Like, but now uh, when I'm doing these look recreations, you know, the, sometimes I'm working on things that use the 5213 negative or whatever have you, 5207, then I am bringing that in. I'm putting in that negative in there as a LUT and telling people, then people are just like, Kazi, you're like, don't be a LUT bitch. I'm like, okay, I say don't be a LUT bitch for you know you to buy some 18 year olds like LUT pack online just because he has some clout on Instagram and he's selling it for $19. Yeah. I'm saying don't do that. But then yeah. if you're using a film emulation like where you know these guys have put all their research and development to create it, that is okay. Because if you're trying to yes. get the look DNA of a certain film and it was either shot on film or they use that film negative, then you have to get in that world by using that and then you know right. do your balance and all that. Oh, and and again, my, my, my views on LUTs have changed when I, because I started being brought really well-designed LUTs by cinematographers that, that took the yes. time to do it right, sat with a colorist or their DIT that knew color yes. and sat on a calibrated monitor. And my goodness, I love LUTs when I can start and I'm already mm -hmm. you know, kind of in the ballpark of what they were liking. Yes. That's, that's a wonderful place to be. I just finished a film at a company called Local Hero in Santa Monica and I work a great DP uh, Jonathan Hall, and he designed some really great LUTs, last couple movies I've done for him. And I just, his color science is correct. So because yes. what I see in their LUTs, I'm like, I would have done that anyway. I, I would have put my blacks in that area and right. I probably would have kept my skin tones where you got it. So as long as I agree with the LUT, use it if it's well designed and if as long as it's not destructive to the image in any way. Right. But there's a lot of LUTs that are designed uh, improperly calibrated areas. Maybe they did it on set off a monitor. That right. monitor wasn't calibrated. Well, it only looks good on that one monitor, and it look it won't look good anywhere else. Exactly. So, I mean, just look at like you know, and and I really appreciate people like Steve Yedlin, you know, who are who are bringing in this technical flair, you know, in the world of cinematography because you know he's saying that he's gonna close the gap. He wants that thing to be gone where people go well when it was shot on film back in the day the look was so beautiful so when you look at his knives out i mean he fooled me when i watched knives out i'm like okay this is shot on film and then i go and did my research and i'm like wait what just happened you know it was like yeah. alexa mini but uh, then when you do some digging you know he he recreated like he created a lot like before going in and then shot it that way and most of it was done that way you know it was just pretty much okay. like there well, what I'm finding about LUTs is uh, I, I make my own. Yeah. I, they're, they're actually basic. They're, they're Power grades. Grades, but they're, yeah. they're not really LUTs. But, right. but for instance, on that Trauma Center, I did this Bruce Willis movie last year called mm -hmm. Trauma Center. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I recently posted about it. And um, I had to create what I call a push and pull grade where the, the world was not shot the way the world looks the way I did it. He said, I want it cyan green everywhere around them, but they got to look normal. Right. So that's where, Love it. You know, now, I didn't do a lot, but I just did it with nodes where I had to keep a skin tone yes. node yes. on everyone's characters to keep their skin correct. But then the world around them goes really cyan and blue. Right. But what sucks about that is whenever those characters walk by backgrounds that are similar to their skin yes. tone, then you, their, your key goes everywhere. Everywhere. So, so then that's where you have to get into a little bit more roto and, and, and or, or redefine the key on those shots yes, and try exactly. to get it off the wall. So that's where it gets a little, and that takes time too, yes. to do that kind of a look. So it would have been nice if I had some color scientist friend uh, yes. give me a look that did that. Yeah. And, I, and that's why I'm going to probably start developing more of those looks in case I get asked that again. Right. That are that are already sort of pre-built. Maybe I can make a 3D cube of it to at least start with and see if it gets me close. Right. But, but still, here's the thing. 
you can build a lot that works great on this movie, like the Joker. Yeah. But you you throw that move that LUT on another movie and it won't look right because it just you gotta design your your color and your LUTs for the movie you're working on the way they shot it and with their ISOs. Yes. There is no one size fits all color grade. No way. Unfortunately. No and, way. And, well, actually, fortunately for us colors that are yes. that, that, that keeps us working. No, that but, is amazing yeah. because it's like anytime yeah. I see like people talking about like, you know, Resolve is working on some AI thing, like where you just hit one button and everything matches. And it, 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 even when you use their shot match, well, like so many people on my YouTube videos, they'll call it out and they were like, this freaking guy just goes on for 30 minutes creating this look. I just like click on the look that I want and I hit shot match and boom, it's oh, done. And I'm uh, like, no. you know, it's <laughs> As a joke, no offense to my friends at Black Magic, mm -hmm. but I, it was, as a joke, I try auto color every now and then to see if it'll match my look. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Nine times out of ten, it goes really blue or magenta. Oh my or, god! It just or it clips everything. It so yeah, it I can't use it because it doesn't quite understand what I'm trying to do. Now maybe in a few years, I've had some techie guys go, "Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna change the world eventually." Well, yeah, eventually, but it, I don't think it's there yet. And one thing, I got into a great discussion about this with Dado Valentic, mm -hmm. you know, Dado? Yeah, yeah, of course, uh, Dado, yeah. Yeah, with, with yeah, he works, does Abel City. Yep. He's great. He's a big supporter of mine. I love him. Yeah. He, uh, we, we talked about AI, and I said, hey, is AI going to uh, replace us colorists? And he said, no, no, because I said, I, I don't believe you can teach yes. a, a, a computer emotion. There, there's things that we right. have in our hearts. And in intuition. Like when yeah, we're making certain yeah, decisions. Gut, gut, gut instinct. Yes, and exactly. Does it know that? Now, again, 120 years from now, maybe it will learn that. Right. There are people that believe that. But we don't care I'm about so that. Dotto was like, he goes, no, Mark, I only want to create AI that helps the artist better. Like yes. tasks that you don't want to do. I want AI to do rotoscoping for yes. me. I said, wonderful. I hate rotoscoping. Yes. So that's where I think AI is, is good for us to do a lot of that mundane work that it just time-consuming yes and, and we can get back to creating our art like conforming you know like i want ai to take over conforming why if something is coming from final cut or premiere pro like resolve is losing its ish like it's just like i don't understand this like you're gonna have to spend a whole day your online editor has to line everything up it's like yeah. if ai can take care of that thank you very much that's gonna be awesome let's move on you know it's, all the grunt work exactly so that's the thing is that um, I'm, you know, I'm an emotional person, which is perfect for my job. I get into the mood and the tone of the film. And so I always, the first thing I discuss with directors and cinematographers is what is the mood of this scene? What, what are we trying to communicate with our look? And what's right. beauty of, of the beautiful thing about color is you can use it as a spot on, on the nose thing, like a traditional, it's a sad day. Yes. A woman has get, been given a letter that her husband has been killed in war. And generally, what would they normally do? They might shoot a, it might be a rainy day when she yes. receives that. So it's a colder day, a bluer day. Yeah. But I like I like flipping things on its ear and say, let's put her on a beach on the most beautiful, gorgeous day, almost a postcard day. And it's a gorgeous day. Mm -hmm. And she gets that letter. And so you're, what you're saying, you're communicating that bad stuff happens even on beautiful days. It yes, doesn't, yes, yes. It doesn't always have to be yeah. a cloudy, rainy day. Right. So you can use color as, as irony. As yes. Well. No, dude, I love it so much. I want to talk about the act and Hulu oh, and, sure. and what is happening nowadays. And yes, you're saying the two-day, three-day turnaround is out of control. Like even when I, uh, you know, last week, uh, you know, we talked, Scott said that on Game of Thrones, they were getting two days to color it, like an episode. So, I mean, it just wow. blows your freaking mind, right? Like even yeah. at that caliber. So I want to, I want to ask you, Working with Hulu, working on the act, working, and it was through your company, right? No, no, it wasn't. That's, uh, it was through a, a company that I do a lot of TV work with called Fancy Film. In, okay. uh, they're in Silver Lake here in okay. LA. Great company. I love them. And so, yeah, I, I, a lot of people misunderstand. Like, I have my own company right. that I do a bulk of work at, but I am still hired as a freelance colorist at okay. various course houses. So they called me uh, in on that one, and the, it, it was just serendipitous. Because the showrunner of that that show, who wrote and created it, said he had two films in his head that were his two favorite color movies, and he said it follows as one of those two, and he just was jazzed that I I came aboard, and the DP said he he lit some scenes to be he goes I told my crew to light it like it follows, so it just was serendipitous love that it. I came yeah. aboard, and I, I love those people they're good people, so I went over there to, to fancy to do that film, and it was an HDR show. Um, what was great is within the first day of just setting looks, they they really I love when the when the when my clients trust their artists to do what it is I do. They let me sort of 
just show them the looks. Like once I kind of knew what their sensitivities yeah. were, I always, I, you have to be a good listener to colors. Like I talk to them. I hear what they do like and I hear what they don't like. Once I kind of get a sense of, oh yeah, whenever I see that, that green, you hate that. You don't like that green. You always want that muted. So I'll know that for yes. the rest of the show. I won't, you won't have to tell me again. So I, once I understand their sensitivities, they let me kind of run with that show and just kind of put the look that, that we had all sort of agreed beautiful. on. Yeah. And so they gave me, uh, they gave me two to three days to put the initial build. And then by day four, they were coming in to do notes. So it was like you know, four days yeah, yeah. Per, per episode, roughly. Does it get Sometimes easier? Fifth, huh? Does it get easier? Um, as far as doing for television work? No, I just mean like when you're on episode four of the same show, you're it's kind of just dialed in and you're just like cruising through. Well, I would love to say it is, but every show was different. Every show had its own set of, uh, oh, complications that I yeah. had to work out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the biggest complication was that, you know, the DP had not uh, shot an HDR show yet. And he had, you know, mm. a lot of the windows were a little high. They were a little high. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep luminance keys out windows to bring down the luminance so that we could still see detail. Um, and I'm sure that now he's going to, now he'll light differently for his HDR shows. Everyone's learning. HDR is still a, a wild west. Yeah, I know. That's what I was going to ask you. So what's the, you know, what was it like for you? How different is it? Like, are you switching your car into a completely different gear, you know, going from SDR to HDR or? Yeah. Again, my answer is very simple. I, I don't color HDR any differently than I color rec 709 because here's the thing. The, the image is only meant to be stretched where it's meant to be stretched. So look at HDR as it's just, it's a five gallon container of information where 709 is a one gallon container. Love it. And all Beautiful. it is is, you, you don't want to ever, I remember uh, one of my first HDR jobs, the engineer leaned over and goes, oh, you're going to put everything in a thousand nits? And I, I go, first of all, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes. Second, no, I said that, that would look horrible to keep it. It would look like a demo. Yes, um, exactly. You, most of my HDR work, the brightness level still sticks around 650 nits. It doesn't, only only specular highlights are hitting a thousand off yes. car hoods, windows, or you know a mirror reflection right. that's hitting the sun. But you only take the image where it wants to go. You can't push it beyond what it's meant, where it's meant to go. That's such a I mean? great advice. That's such a so, great advice. Yeah. So even like Dada was telling me, he's like, most of the shows that I worked on, he's like, I keep my bright areas like around 300 and then a specular highlights can go to 1000. But he's like, I'm keeping it at 3350. And I'm like, really? I'm like, wow. Because he's like, this is where the meat is. This is where you get the most saturation. So he's like, when you watch it, it looks so good. And he's like, Kazi, going beyond 100 is going to blow your mind because we're used to seeing 100. You know, that's what right, we're used right. to. So he's like, yeah. going past 100 is already like you push past that limit. And if your midtones are sitting in like 200 or 250, it's already like just popping out of the screen. And I'm like, yeah. I never thought about it like that. So, yeah, you know, it's, HDR, what's great about it is it's just, Again, I still color the same way. I just find I can see, I see more gradients of color than I do in 709. Mm -hmm. um, you just see a little bit more like, I, I mean, it picks up tiny little yes. things that 709 it's lost in. It's not, you know, that's, I just love that there's more information in my midtones, my black levels and my highlights. So just more information. That's yeah. all it is. Definitely um, more noise. So how are you, how are you dealing with that? Cause there is more noise in HDR, right? Um, Boy, I, to be honest, I wasn't noticing where anything where I had huge noise reduction. Hmm. Uh, I, I was getting again, maybe it's the way it's shot or something. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, maybe it's how it's shot because again, they saw they gave me such a crisp image that I really didn't need to use noise reduction uh, in on the app. Wow. And okay. uh, and again, I've done the shows. I uh, just finished a great Apple show called Deer. Dot okay. dot dot. Uh, and again, that was a red show that was uh, an HDR. And I didn't know again, didn't use uh, noise reduction. So I my work is it's been coming clean to me. I've not seen a reason to, uh, have you seen HDR work that looks noisy to you? Maybe is it possible they, they push the image so much that they yes. got a digital brain? It has to be. Through? And also probably like I'm working with, you know, red dragon and a little bit older cameras. I feel like helium oh. and these cameras are just meant for HDR. You know, they're like right. dialing it in. Yeah. The older cameras, I think you're going to definitely see a little more. It's not, it's not, not grain because it's not film, but it's it's digital noise. Digital noise. And yeah. you're gonna bring yes, you will probably bring that up if it's an older camera. So yes, the more newer camera, these you know mine these were shot in newer cameras. So uh, again, especially the I, they use the um, the red white color gamut mm -hmm. uh, and 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 IPP two color the LG ten yes long ten. Uh, 
LG 310, whatever they call that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, Long you know, I, I just saw just tremendous images for these shows that I've done. Um, and uh, we're doing a season two of, uh, of the Apple show. And um, I've just finished a, uh, a Disney plus Hulu show for them that I can't really talk about yet, but that's already going to season two yes. and it's not even aired yet. So can't wait to talk about that. Just too. working nonstop. Huh? Hey, so let's I'm lead into that. Let's, let's talk about your vlog. I'm really excited to see what you're doing and okay. what to expect. Let's talk about it. Tell people what it is. Oh, Oh the, yeah. The vlog thing again. Um, I almost forgot about that. Yes. Uh, I, again, I, I'm going to do a short series because I I'm grateful that I'm so busy that it's hard to uh, find time to do this, but I'm going to make time. I just want to, again, there's a bunch of stories in my head from being in this industry. You know, like I told you how I, I used to go up to big people like I, Wes Craven, again, who, who, who created Nightmare on Elm Street and, and directed the first one and Scream. I, I, I went up to him in a parking lot and, and when I was a young guy going, I want to work for you. And he was so gracious. He says, come to my office. And that summer I get, went to his office three times and he just told me stories of making movies like the last house on the left, the Hills have eyes. Yes. Uh, he, he's freaking done some major yes. horror films. Wow. And he was the nicest guy to me. Um, and I just, I want to talk, uh, these are short stories. A lot of them are not too long. I want to talk about my industry knowledge, just things that's happened to me along the way. And then maybe discuss well, uh, you know, color theory. Yeah. Um, again, it's not, I know some people were thinking that when I did that vlog uh, teaser, Oh, you're going to be like a, you're going to teach us how to color. And I got to say, I, I don't mean to disappoint, but I'm not, I'll let guys that are really good at that do that. I, I want to just, I can talk about color theory though. And the artistry that I bring, you know, what's going in my head when I'm approaching a movie. So I might pull up some movies and talk yeah. about what I, what our process was. And then I want to talk to other artists. I want to talk to producers, directors, cinematographers, and talk about their art. I just want to talk about artistry and art, you know, be with artists. I think it's so different. And I think it's so exciting because it happens like the one-off things, like the featurettes are cool and all that stuff, but it's sort of, sort of like formulaic. But what you're talking about, like anything that's story driven, I'm in, you know, I can put it on, leave it in the background. Like I'm driving to freaking get food and it's running in the background. So I feel like, but, but the knowledge, the insider's knowledge, the insider's tips are just, this is something that's lacking in the field of color grading. There's way too much of cinematography and editing content out there, but I feel like relatively it's a newer industry. And, and I feel like there's not many people such as yourself that are open to sharing it and talking about it like the the indoor conversations and like what goes what goes down because i feel like people are kind of holding on to it there's a lot of scarcity in this industry so yeah. i'm i'm the ultimate supporter for what you're saying and i am so excited because i'm i'm tired of looking at it always as like one-to-one -one. let's talk about technical things what about rec 2020 like what about rec like you know it's just there's enough of that you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of that. You know, again, there's a time and a place for that. There's not it's not bad. It's just I just want again, and I this is gonna evolve what I'm gonna do here. I'm gonna try to get that first one out by July 22nd. Uh, that's my goal. Um, Love it. Yeah. And I want to see where it goes. I want it to be an evolving thing. I may change the format after yes. the first one. I might realize it's not working. So it's just gonna be a an evolving thing. But I want it to be fun, and I just want it to be educational in a different way, not like. Like you said, uh, yeah. here's how you do it. But just my stories, my experience, and then hopefully somebody will get something out of it. Mark, you have such a a different kind of attitude. Like it's it, it's something that needs to be brought up because I feel like I've never I haven't talked to anyone with your skill set and your caliber and somebody who's accomplished as much to be to have that humble attitude to be like if tomorrow things change up. I'm going to switch it up. I'm just going to roll with it. This is like a very new wave. Like my brother is 26 and he has that attitude, you know, where he's just like, dude, today I want to climb a freaking mountain. And tomorrow I just don't want anything to do with it. I want to be a, <laughs> you know, couch potato and watch TV. So it's yeah, like, right, right. I've actually learned from him to be that way. I wasn't like that. I was very much like, this is what I know. And this is the way it's supposed to be. And I feel like he kind of break that for me and you know i'm just like man this is a good way to live life so i i see your attitude and i'm just i'm just i can't help but be very Thank impressed you for saying that. and that's another reason i wanted to do this too because i i bump into people I, I i used to be pretty closed off you know mm -hmm. um i was a little more guarded of what it is i do and i've realized over the years that if you're talented you're gonna work and yeah, so there's nothing really to be worried about uh 
another great colorist uh, recently said a client was staring over his shoulder while he was coloring. And he said, I'm going to steal your technique. And the colorist looked at him and said, you can do that. He goes, but you can't steal my taste. Yes. And I think, and that's one thing I've learned about myself in all these years is that I have a taste. I've been told that by, by big cinematographers right. and it makes me feel good that, oh good, maybe I'm not fooling myself. Maybe I actually do have a mm -hmm. little bit of taste. And taste is, is, is a lot of it too. Yes. You know, yeah, so there's a lot of talented people out there. It's personality. Right. So and I just want to get, I, I feel like when I bump into people in Hollywood, sometimes people have a preconception of what, who I am. Cause Oh, you came from company three. And I think they think I'm going to be pretty, you know, uh, I don't know, haughty or, you know, yeah, act yeah, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all that. I, I've always been kind of just a, I am kind of a more of a regular guy. I'm just, you know, I, I'll have a beer with you and chat with you. I like people. You know, what's, what's crazy <laughs> is that it, from the outside world, it looks like that, just like what you said, not about you, but I'm talking oh. about like, you know, um, people when they're coming from company three and all that. But the crazy thing is that I got to know Ty Roth, I got to know, oh. uh, you know, Jill. And once you talk to them, they're so normal that you're kind of yeah. like, man, I feel like an asshole thinking like <laughs> of all those things, right? Isn't yes, that crazy? Again, I do know, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I do know that some people probably thought I was going to be some kind of jerk egotistical person and, and and then when they got to meet me i remember they were telling me this one particular person goes you're not you're not anything like what i thought you were and he didn't really say what he thought i was but i yeah, kind of yeah. assumed it was not a great but thing. but you know that's not on you that's on <laughs> us that's on people on the other side because i learned that you know from my wife all day every day she's always like why don't you start with giving people the benefit of the doubt and then go in and see what happens and i'm always that guy that just like Baby, I don't, I don't like his vibe. I don't, I don't, I, I got a bad feeling. You know, I'm going in with that, and it's like, so it's not your fault. It's the other person's fault. You know, coming up with those preconceived notions. You know, before he even approached you and talked to you, because when I first yes. talked to you, I mean, you're just like, I'm like, hey, let's go live, and you're like, let's go live. You know, it, it's it's right. just that. Right. So, um, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Like I said, I, I, I yes, I probably did. there was a period I will admit, uh, and I'm all about transparency. So. There was a period where I thought I was hot shit at Company 3, about seven years in my color grading. And I was studying looks on uh, Pirates 2. And I used to have to sort of run them by my, my master colorist boss, Stefan Sonnenfeld. I'd have mm -hmm. to show him, hey, how's this looking to you? And he'd give me the, either give me the thumbs up or tell right. me, make it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, one night I thought I set this bitch and look, and he looks at me and goes, it's flat. And I go, what do you mean it's flat? I showed him the base man, then I showed him my look. It's not flat, it's got contrast. And then he sat down, he saved my look, and he, in two seconds, he just snapped it up, and he did what I call taking it from 80% to 100. And he oh shows me God. his versus mine. He goes, which one do you like better? I said, yours. And then I realized, I can't act like I'm some badass colorist. I still have a lot to learn. Oh, and my that, God. You know, from that day on, I, I think I got a little more humble. That Even seven years in the grading, I still wasn't there. Dude, it takes... A long time even you know i've had master colors tell me that of all their years coloring they weren't feeling comfortable until their 10th year of coloring where they felt really confident that yeah. what they do is the right thing for that job so yeah it just it's like anything you just do it you do thousands of hours you just keep doing it and if you have a seed of talent which i do believe you got to have some kind of inkling mm -hmm. in you something yeah, yeah, small yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of color of being able to, to figure it out but what if you do have it you can grow the seed. Mark, this talk has been absolutely insane. I do want to want you to tell people, what is that vlog called? Where do we look it up? Where are you oh, going to put these videos? This is how terrible I am at, at management. Uh, well, I haven't named the vlog yet. So uh, I, I'll be posting about it as soon as I do. I'll, I'll name the vlog. And it might just be called MTO Vlogs. It might be very simple. I love it. But, uh, I will, I'll, I'll put some information out about when we get the first one. I'm still trying to line up my guests to talk with. So, uh, and again, yeah, it, it's coming out soon. I'll, I'll, I'll let people know. I love Thanks. it. Can, I want you to, because people look up to you, I want you to just, any one piece of advice I know, like the whole thing was like filled with it. There were so many golden nuggets, but like, is there anything you want to leave people with? Um, uh, people that are trying to be colorists or people there are, colorists that want to take their game to the next level like any just general advice um for me again my i've had a lot of people in my my life tell me you can't do that and i fire i get fired up when i hear that and i i always say just don't don't believe the naysayers there's always going to be people that 
kind of try to get in your way and you have to just, you go, you jump over them, you work around them and you just, you don't, you just do what you know to do, that what you want to do and don't let anyone stop you and, and fail. Be okay. It's okay to fail. Fail 1500 times. It's okay. You're not a bad person. You're not a failure. You're just someone that's on their way to success. And that's definitely, I am the poster child for that. I've, I've, I just, I fail and I learn and I, but I get up. Some people stay down and you can't stay down and you get knocked down. You just keep going. Don't let anyone stop you. Mark, so much respect. Thank you so much for taking the time to go live with me. Thank uh, you. This is going to be an IG IGTV post, so you guys can watch it later on. And obviously, Mark, you can share it as well. But okay. thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kazi. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. So it just it, it keeps getting better, man. Every time I bring somebody on and I'm just like, how are they going to top the guy that was, you know, uh, live before, like last week? But this was such an amazing talk. Uh, this is going to be on my IGTV. I'm thinking about putting these on YouTube as well. So basically just make the, you know, uh, uh, videos available everywhere. So wherever you want to consume them. But thank you, everyone, for showing up. Thanks for your participation. You guys know that you guys make this channel. You guys make this happen. I'm just a guy that is talking. So um, it's all to you guys. Love you. Until next week. God bless. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel, and I will see you in the next episode.